The War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells Book to the Earth Under the Martians Chapter 9 The Wreckage And now comes the strangest thing in my story, yet perhaps is not altogether strange. I remember clearly and coldly and vividly all that it did that day until the time I stood weeping and praising God upon the summit of Primrose Hill, and then I forgot. For the next three days I know nothing. I have learned since that. So far from my being the first to discover the Martian overthrow, several such wonders as myself. I already discovered this on the previous night. Our man, the first, had gone to St. Martin's Le Grand. While I shouted in the cabman's hunt, and contrived to telegraph to Paris. Thence the joyful news had flashed all over the world of thousand cities chilled by ghastly apprehensions. Sunny flashed in the frantic illuminations they knew of it in Dublin, Edinburgh, Manchester, Birmingham, at a time when I stood upon that verge of the pit. Body men weaving with joy, as I have heard, shouting and staying their work, to shake hands and shout, were making up trains, even as near as crew to descend upon London. The church bells had ceased a fortnight, fortnight since suddenly caught the news until all England was bell ringing, men on cycles, lean faced and kept scorched along. Every country lane shouting of unhoped deliverance, shouting to gaunt, staring figures of despair. And for the food, across the channel, across the Irish Sea, across the Atlantic, cornbread and meat were tearing to our relief. All the shipping in the world seemed going Londonward in, the, in those days, but all of it, this, I have no memory. I drifted a demented man. I found myself in a house of kindly people. Who had found me in, on the third day wandering, weeping, and raving through the streets at St. John's Wood? They have told me since that I was singing some insane doggerel about the last man left alive, hurrah, the last man left alive. Trouble as they were with their own affairs, these people, whose name, as much as I would like to express my gratitude to them, I may not even give here, nearly succumbed themselves with me shuddered me and protected me from myself. Apparently they had learned something of my story from me during the days of my lapse. Very gently when my mind was assured again, did they break to me that they had learned of the fate to live ahead. Two days after I was imprisoned, it was had been destroyed of every soul in it by my Martian. He swept it out of existence as it seemed without any provocation as a boy might crush an anthill. The mere wantonness of power. I was a lonely man, and they were very kind to me. I was a lonely man and a sad one. They bore with me. I remained with them four days after my recovery. All that time I felt a vague and growing craving to look at once more on whatever remained of the little life that had seemed to have so happy and bright in my past. A mere hopeless desire to feast upon my misery. They dissuaded me. They did all they could to divert me from this morbidity. But at last I came, could resist the impulse no longer, promising me faithfully to return to them and parting, as I will confess, from these four-day friends with tears. 
I went out again into the streets, but lately being so dark and empty, strange and empty. Already they were busy with, with returning people in places, even there were even there were shops open. I saw a drinking fountain running water. I remember how mockingly bright the day seemed as I went back to my melancholy pilgrimage, to the little house at Woking. How busy the streets are vivid, the moving life about me. So many people were abroad, everywhere, busied in thousand activities that it, it seemed incredible any great proportion of the population could have been slayed. By and then I noticed how yellow were the skins of the people I met, how shaggy the hair of the men, how large and bright their eyes. That every other man still wore his dirty rags. The faces seemed all with one or two expressions, a leaping exhilaration, and the energy of a grit or a grim resol- resolution. Save for the expression of the faces, London seemed a city of tramps. Pharisees were incrim- discriminating, distributing bread sent us by the French government. The ribs of the few horses showed dismally. Haggard special constables with white badges stood at the corners of every corner. I saw little of the mischief wrought by the marshes until we reached Wellington Street. There I saw the red weed clambering of the buttresses of Waterloo Bridge. At the corner of the bridge, too, I saw one of the common contrast grotesque time a sheet of paper flaunting against a thicket of red weed for transfixed by a stick. They kept it in place. It was a placard of the first newspaper to resume publication. The Daily Mail I brought a copy for black and shilling. I found in my pocket. Most of it was in blank. But a solitary composer, who did the thing, had removed himself by making a grotesque scheme of advertisement stereo on the back page. Imagining printed was emotional. News organisation had not as yet found its way back. I learned nothing fresh except that already one week examination of Martian mechanisms had yielded astonishing results. Among other things, the articles showed me what I did not know, not believe at the time. The secret of flying was discovered. At Waterloo, I found the free trains were taking people to their homes. First rush was already over. There were a few people in the train. I was in no mood for casual conversation. I got a compartment to myself and sat with folded arms, looking greyly. A sunset devastation that flowed past the windows. Just outside the terminus, the train jolted over temporary rails, and on either side of the railway, the houses were blackened ruins. To Chapham Junction, the face of London was grimy with powder of the black smoke, in spite of two days of thunderstorms and rain. At Chapham Junction, the line had been wrecked again. There were hundreds of out-of-work clerks and shopmen working side by side were customary navvies. Navvies, we were jointed over a hasty relaying. All down the line from the aspect of the country was gaunt and unfamiliar. Wimbledon particularly suffered. Walton, by virtue of its unburned pine trees, seemed at least hurt at any place along the line. The waddle, the mole, every little stream was a heaped mass of red weed. Between butcher's meat and pickled cabbage, cabbage. the Surrey pine woods were too dry, however, for the foursomes of the great climber. Beyond Wimbledon, within the sight of the line, 
in certain nursery grounds with heaped masses of earth about the sixth cylinder. Lumber people standing about it. Some sappers were busy in the midst of it. Over it floated a Union Jack, flapping cheerfully in the morning breeze. Nursery grounds were everywhere crimson with red weed, wide expanse of livid colour, cut with purple shadows that were very painful to the eye. One's gaze went with infinite relief, the scorched greys, the sudden reds, foreground to blue-green softness, the eastbourne hills, eastward hills. Lying on the London side of Welkin Station was still undergoing repair, so I descended to my feet station, took the road to Maybury, past the place where I, the infantry man, had talked to the sailors, and on my by the spot where the Martian had appeared to me in a thunderstorm. Here, moved by curiosity, I turned aside to find among a tangle of red wood forms, a warped and broken dog cart with the whitened bones of the horse scattered and gnawed. The time I stood regarding these virtues. I turned through the pine wood, neck high with red weed here and there, to find the landlord, spotted dog, at a woody found burial, and so came home past the cottage arms. A man standing at an open cottage door greeted me by a name as I passed. I looked at my wooden house with a quick flash of hope and faded, I faded immediately. Door had been forced, it was on fast and was slowly opening slowly as I approached. Stand again, the curtains of my study fluttered out of the open window from which I aimed at artillerymen and watched the dawn. No one had closed it since. The smashed bushes were just as I left them nearly four weeks ago. I stumbled in the hall and the house felt empty. Sarah covered it was ruffled and discoloured where it crouched, soaked and skin from the thunderstorm and night the catastrophe. A muddy footsteps I saw still went, went up the stairs. I followed him to my study and found lying on my writing table, still with cellulite paper weight upon it, the sheet of paper at work. I left in the afternoon of opening the cylinder for space. I stood reading over my abandoned arguments, a paper of probable development of moral ideas, the development of civilizing process. The last sentence was the opening of providence. Prophecy. In about 200 years, I'd written, we might expect Sentence ended abruptly. I made my ability to fix my mind. That morning, scarcely a month gone by, and how I had broken off to get my daily chronicle for the newsboy. Remember how I went down to the great garden gate as he came along, and how I had listened to his old story, a story of a man from Mars. Men from Mars. I came down and went into the dining room. There were mutton and bread both far gone, and a cane and a beer bottle overturned. Just as I and the Tilly men had left them. My home was desolate. But see the folly of the fate hope I cherished so long. A strange thing occurred. It's no use, said a voice. House is deserted. No one had been here for these ten days. Do not stay here to torment yourself. No one escaped but you. I startled. Had I thought, had I spoken and my thought aloud? I turned. The French window was open behind me. I made a step to it and stood looking out. And there, amazed and afraid, even I stood amazed and afraid, with my cousin and my wife, wife, white and tearless. She gave a faint cry. I came, she said. I knew. I knew. knew. She put on her hand to her throat, swayed, made a step forward and caught her in my arms.